Good morning, Antioch. Welcome home. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Usually I'm right down that hall loving on your children and teaching them the stories of God. But you know they have something in common with us. We all love a good story. Don't you love a good story? Okay, good. Well, you know, Jesus, he was the very best storyteller, but I love to tell stories too. Often I'll say, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. <laughs> now, there's going to be a picture up of our family. We have four adult children, and three, yay, three of them are married, and our seventh grandchild is due um, next month. Going to be a little boy in Arkansas. So this is our family at Christmas time, but now we have an addition to that. We have Birdie was born in April, and she lives in Waco. Now, let me tell you, you don't get to this spot in life and not have a story or two of your own. There's been a lot of drama. There's been a lot of trauma. We have stories that are funny. We have stories that are sad. And we have some that are horrifying. Horrifying. Would you like to hear one of those? Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> because you were going to hear it anyway. <laughs> okay, now, don't hold this against me. It happened almost 23 years ago. Okay, I was there. Anyway, our family of six, much younger than this, we were going to take a trip at Christmas time to uh, Pennsylvania. At the time, our children were 12, 10, 7, and we had a newborn or nine month old, nine month old baby. <laughs> so now, this, y'all have to understand, this was pre 11, uh, pre 9 11. And so back then, you didn't have all the rules at the airports that we have now. You know, and so David traveled a lot back then, and he had this reputation for getting to the airport and jumping on the plane. And I said, I don't want to have anything to do with that holiday traveling in, with four children. Do I get an amen from the moms? Okay, thank you. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. So I said, I have a plan. Let's call a taxi. Now, y'all, we didn't have Uber back then, so this was kind of revolutionary. We had never taken a taxi in our life. So I said, we'll get a taxi to come to the house, pick up the kids and I, we'll drive to your office, get you. You can just come down and we can go to the airport. We won't have to battle the traffic. We won't have to battle the parking. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? So we got there. Uh, Tyrone was our taxi driver. We got to David's office. And like I said, I didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have cell phones back then. But Tyrone had one of these big clunky car phones that you plugged into the, uh, you know, the cigarette lighter. And so I had already told David before we left the house that we were on our way. But he said, well, you can call him. So I used his big clunky phone and called David, told him, we're here, we're ready. Well, we waited. And we waited. And we waited. <laughs> 45 minutes later, here came David darting to the car. Now, I might have given him the stink eye, but I still thought we're going to be okay because back then you printed your tickets off. So I had my ticket printed off, all of our tickets printed off. I thought we'll be okay. We'll get there. He'll pull up to the curb and we'll just check our baggage at the curb. And so we're still fine. So we get there, we pull up to the curb and they inform us that the computers are down. Mm -hmm. So I looked at David and said, I'm going in, you get the bags. <laughs> so I threw that door open, I jumped out of that van and I ran inside. My 12, 10, and seven-year-old 
took their seatbelts off and they followed me in like my little ducklings. We got inside and that line was serpentine to ran. I thought there is no way in the world we're going to make this flight. Now it was the 23rd of December and this was the last flight out to Pittsburgh. And we were supposed to be doing a connecting flight from there to uh, the small town in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> well, in a little bit, here came David. I could barely see the top of his head pushing our cart with 11 bags, 11 bags. And he got in line next to us and I looked at him. I said, honey, I may not have said honey. I said, what were you thinking? That was a rhetorical question. What I really meant was, why did you take so long to come to the car? Those words had barely spilled out of my lips when I looked at him and said, where's the baby? Uh -huh. He said, I don't have the baby. I thought you had the baby. Yeah, I might lose my job over this. <laughs> so he ran out of the airport to see if he could catch Tyrone. He came back in empty handed. Tyrone had left with our nine-month-old baby. You know what? I only have so much time, so I'm going to just finish there and go on with the lesson. Gotcha. No, I'm not going to do that. You want me to stay in the story, right? You want me to tell you the rest of the story? Well, during Tyrone and Mai's 45-minute visit, we had gotten acquainted. Really nice. Found out he was a believer. And I had thought to myself, well, we have a friend coming to pick us up afterwards. I mean, when we come back from our trip. But I thought, just in case she, you know, the roads are iced or something, it'd be really great to call Tyrone to come pick us back up. So I had asked him for his phone number, for his car phone number. He had gotten out a piece of paper, written that on it, handed it to me. I popped it in my pocket. I popped it right back out of my pocket and handed it to David. He ran up to the counter. We didn't have a phone. He got the clerk to give him the phone, and he called Tyrone. He answered, David said, Tyrone, this is David Eisenberg. He said, I've got something of yours. <laughs> you know, you can't make this stuff up. You know that, right? Mm -mm. So he, had already, he said he was going down 635, and he looked in the rearview mirror, and he saw Michael's head bopping up and down in the car seat. Now, Michael's here today. Woo! Michael! I don't think we've paid for a lot of therapy over this, but he's heard this story along, uh, many times. So I ran outside to get Michael. <laughs> and when I came back in, I looked at the monitor, and our flight had been delayed an hour. <laughs> but you know, it didn't make that much difference. I had my baby back. <laughs> you know, perspectives change when you stay in the story and when you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story. <laughs> Sorry, I have to catch up. Okay, now we realize that most of our stories, most of the angst <laughs> and the pain of our stories is not resolved in 30 minutes like this story was on December 23rd. <laughs> and believe it or not, that brings me to my message today. That did have a point. <laughs> Recharging from the promises of God. 
That's the title of the sermon series that Zach mentioned when he asked me if I'd like to share on this topic. And I immediately thought, that's a great topic because we don't have resolution to our stories and we need to be recharged every day, every day, every day. We need to be recharged. You know, we live in this tension of what's coined the now and the not yet. (laughs) I responded to Zach the way I normally do. I'll pray about it, and let me uh, talk to David, and I'll let you know in a day or two. I need to get a drink. Thank you. First thing, the very next morning when I woke up, (laughs) my thoughts were already competing with each other. They, They thought they were at a mental gymnastics tournament. They were darting and tumbling back and forth like they were... Each thought was trying to one-up the last thought. Has that ever happened to y'all in the wee hours of the morning? Yeah, I've got a hand. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Weighty decisions that needed to be made were competing with hard circumstances at work that were out of our control. And then there were the somersaulting reminders (laughs) of distressed friends and suffering loved ones, all with open-ended hard stories. (laughs) I kind of felt this little pressure on my chest. But then, (laughs) out of nowhere, a thought popped in my heart before I even had time to remind myself to be thankful. (laughs) And when it came into my mind, it washed over me and this peace came over me like I was being recharged. (laughs) like I was being plugged into a source that made those negative thoughts stumble and collapse. Five words. Five words were responsible for the relief I felt right then, and this is them. Trust God and do good. (laughs) My mind immediately had that sense that I feel like when I get under my weighted blanket, and feel so securely tucked in, just this peace came over me. I had heard a lesson on these words several years ago, and the woman that taught the lesson, she likened these five words to medicine for the soul. Medicine for the soul. So, and she even had the audacity to say that any problem we have could be solved by this, these imperatives. Woo! <laughs> That's what she said. Well, I immediately hopped out of bed. I grabbed my Bible. I opened it up to where I knew I could find that verse, Psalm 37.3. And what I really wanted to know, though, is there a promise attached? Because Zach had just asked me the day before. (laughs) I opened my Bible, and this is what I read. This was in the Passion Translation. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. That's the trust God and do good. (laughs) Fix your heart, dwell on the promises of God, and you will be secure. Feasting on his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide you for what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. I 
felt a literal relief. I didn't have to have a solution for every thought that was vying for my attention right then, but I did have a simple, clear strategy. I was to trust God and do good, and in exchange, I would receive the promise of security, security, freedom from danger and threat. I had felt drained from the weight of my thoughts, but these verses literally refreshed me, promising that if I'd make them my plan of action, giving God the right to direct my story, to author it, then he'd pull it off perfectly. I needed to stay in the story, trust God, and do good. Now, I've been noticing this hashtag, stay in the story, probably just because I knew I was going to be teaching this, but... For our purposes today, stay in the story means that we're going to stay engaged with the reality that my story is really God's story (laughs) for his purposes and for his glory. My role, no matter the current plot, (laughs) is to bring God glory by trusting him and doing good. Now, in kids' ministry... Every week, we have a bottom line. Now, the craft and the story and the songs, everything heads towards this bottom line. The one truth we want them to remember when they leave that day. So, kids, here's our bottom line for today. Stay in the story, trust God, and do good. Okay, now we're going to unpack that first verse a little bit. I read that... um, King David wrote this to his, for his son Solomon, previous to Solomon becoming the king, right before his coronation. You know, David knew Solomon was going to face some hard things. Even in the, what it says there is that he, he knew he was going to he was going to be seeing evildoers getting away with stuff. Pain was inevitable, and suffering, though, is part of being human. None of us get a pass. Not the king and not any of us. The word that's used about three times in the first eight verses of that chapter is fret not. Now, we don't really use that word, do we? <clears throat> fret not. But it's common, the word that word commonly means to be constantly anxious or worried, to gradually wear away at something by rubbing or gnawing. The parallel advice Jesus gives Do not fret, do not let your heart be troubled. What is gnawing away at us? It may not be what was gnawing at Solomon, but some of us have job loss that we're dealing with. Some of us have financial concerns. Some of us have exhaustion from caring for children. And some of us have exhaustion from caring for elderly parents. Some of us have dealt with COVID in the last couple years. And some of us have dealt with cancer. All these situations gnaw and rub away at our security. They threaten to hijack our peace and hijack our desired storyline. That early morning episode I had, it was just on the verge of fret. But God downloaded that thought to me and it saved me from it. Many times we're told to do not fret. But we aren't just left there. We are told what to do for security. Trust God 
and do good. Now, this chapter has a lot of contrasts in it. One of the contrasts is dwelling places. You know, where we live, where we live in our mind, where we live in our heart. And you know, I have a feeling a lot of us could stand to have a spiritual fixer-upper just about now. <laughs> Worry is a dwelling place. It's when you dwell on your troubles and your problems. We can easily live there. I've been there. Or we can take up residence, dwell on what we know to be true about God, on his promises, on his character, surrendering to the true author of our story. I've shared before about the five statements of faith or belief as um, given by Beth Moore in her study, Believing God, many years ago. And you know, I'm gonna tell you these again. We're gonna talk about them again. They're gonna be up on the screen. They are on the screen. This is photo worthy, I'm just saying. <laughs> because these truths, if we will hide them in the crevices and the closets and the pantry of our heart <laughs> and then pull them out, they will transform our trust. Here they are. God is who he says he is. God can do what he says he can do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. And God's word is alive and active in me. We have the choice of where to dwell and where to set up residence. We dwell on his trustworthiness and we feast. Don't you love that word? Feast on his faithfulness. You know the old adage, you are what you eat. <laughs> well, the experts say that the body is made in the kitchen. It's the food that we eat that really, you know, we want to exercise a whole lot, which is great, but it doesn't make up for what you ate, <laughs> unfortunately. So it's what we're putting in our body that changes is the cellular composition, same way spiritually. If we're feeding ourselves doubt and sin and comparison of all things, then we are going to be spiritually malnourished. But the result of trusting and feasting on God's faithfulness is peace and security, and not in a meager amount, not a small amount, perfect peace. Perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace whom his mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. It's having confidence in the kindness of God no matter the confusion of the circumstances. In Dallas Willard's book, Without, A Life Without Lack, the author notes that trust is messy and that trust is where Satan and God are struggling for the soul of man. Now we're gonna transition. We had two things in our bottom line. Trust God and thank you, do good. Now remember, trusting God, when we do, okay, when we do good, what in the world does that have to do with staying in the story? Well, among other things, doing good takes the focus off ourselves and puts it on other people. Our lives are meant to be spent, not to be stagnant. They need to overflow. You know, God uses us to do good in other people's lives, 
because he knows there's the joy that fills us when we participate in that. It helps whoever we're doing good for, but you know what? It helps us. It helps us. He commands us to abound in every good work. Never tire of doing what is good. Be rich in good deeds and be devoted to good deeds. And in Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, our good works are part of the story that God is working us in other people's lives. And, you know, sometimes when we do go those good works, sometimes they're impromptu and spontaneous, and sometimes they're scheduled. Now, God prepared them all in advance, but in our minds, we're impromptu or they're scheduled. You know, several years ago, uh, we were working really hard on getting our house prepared to sell. Lots and lots of hours and lots of mental energy and physical energy. And, but one weekend, while we were in the middle of all that, we went to Waco because our son Jonathan and his wife Julianne were moving from one residence to the other, and we went to go help them out. So we had a plan. We were going to work all day, like on Friday, and help them clear out and get it moved into the new house and set up. And then they were going to go to work the next day, and we were going to go home and work on our stuff. That's what happened. We did that. But the next morning, David and I got on the road to go back to Dallas, and we thought, we started talking about it, we are like, there's still so much to do. <laughs> they are such hard workers, and they were going to come home from work and still be faced with having to get the first house clean so they could get their deposit back, and we just said, you know what, let's just turn around and go back. And so we were on 35, y'all, this is... This isn't anything that all the families wouldn't do. This is, you just do this for your family, you know? And so we figured out how to get a hold of Jonathan because he was at the hospital at work. And somehow he saw our text. We went to the hospital and got the key from him, went to the house. We stayed several hours, several hours, left, got back on 35, started back home. I said to David, I could die so happy right now. So happy because, you know, my eyes, our focus have been taken off of us and put on to someone else. And it made us, it delighted us. It made us feel so good. But I want to suggest that there's a way also that you can regularly schedule your good works by serving on one of the serve teams. <laughs> Oh, yes, I'm going there. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of fallout from the pandemic, and I am so thankful to see this room full of people. But some of you wanted to put your children maybe in the kids' area, and they're wanting a spot for them. And that's been some of the fallout. You know, we lost some of our kid workers, you know, our, our child team, and they were so great. And for, you know, all kinds of reasons, but we haven't been able to open our classes back, and we need you, and the children need you, <laughs> and once a month, if you'd come serve once a month, and then you can still catch the assembly, you know, on YouTube, all the singing, everything, it's wonderful, and it would be such a blessing to helping us get 
back up and going full. We want to have your children in there. We want to be bringing them the stories of God every week so that we can come alongside you and be on your team to raise these children. Now, Macy just happens that she's going to be out there <laughs> at the kids' table today, and she'll have something for you to sign up. If you just want to start the beginning of that process, we would love it. We would welcome you. We have a good time. It, the stories are awesome. I promise you. It's great. Whew. Okay. Oh, I was going to tell you, Jared's back there in the booth, and he didn't know I was going to say this, but Jared, you know, he's one of those 10 talent people. Yes. <laughs> And he helps in kids, and he's so awesome back there. And a couple weeks he was ago, he was back there with me, and I just said, Jared, thank you so much for being in here with me, with us. And he said, Nancy, he said, this is the heart of God, and it is my joy to be in here. <laughs> Love you, Jared. <laughs> You know what? I knew when Jared said that, that came out of a place of him delighting in God and delighting in doing good works. <laughs> delighting in God. That brings me to the next verse. And I want to just briefly touch on it. It is a well-known portion of Psalm 37. You'll see it on a mug or a t-shirt or whatever. It's everywhere. It's an incredible promise, and there's actually a condition kind of attached to it. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. Now, it was really important to me to handle this verse correctly and not to infer that it's just some kind of easy formula. So, besides praying about it and reading it in many versions, I listened to 10 YouTube theologians about what they thought about this verse. <laughs> I heard descriptions of that it was a unicorn verse, too good to be true, or to someone else that said it's the most misused verse in the Bible, to someone else that said, no, it's the, one of the most important verses of the Bible. But one person suggested that this verse is a mirror to verse three. In other words, if you're trusting God and doing good, then you are reflecting delighting yourself in the Lord. As we desire his presence and trust in him and treasure him and bend and climb and lean towards him and behold him, our desires line up with his and they won't go unfulfilled. An important thing that I gleaned from that is that there are parallel verses in the New Testament. Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and on and my words and remain in you, then ask what you wish and it'll be done for you. There was one more verse in this passage that I want us to talk about. Give God the right to direct your life and as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. I mentioned earlier that David had passed that message down to Solomon and you know, there's this well-known passage in Proverbs with real similar verbiage that Solomon passing it down to his son, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now I'll admit to you, there have been times when difficult things have happened in my life and I was tempted to say, I'd like a new script, please. <laughs> but God has more wisdom than I do. He's writing the story. I couldn't make this stuff up. 
I had to choose to trust God and do good. When I was a teenager, we moved. I went to three different high schools in three in different states, three different ones. It was hard. You know, when, when, uh, when I was a young mother, I lost my own mother. My own mother passed away. It was devastating. But, you know, it went not into the story. David's lost his job before, and that wasn't into the story either. A lot of time, you know, it was really kind of a better story. <laughs> when a very close loved one had to go to rehab for addiction, it was not the end of the story at all. When one of my children had a broken engagement, <laughs> hallelujah, it was not the end of the story. <laughs> and when we felt led to change our church home after 23 years, nah, not the end of the story. We came to Antioch. <laughs> Even when David's father contracted COVID in January and passed away one week later on his 90th birthday, even that was not the end of the story. <laughs> we have to stay in the story. After all, it's God's story, and those who delight and trust and dwell and feast on him already know the end of the story. Here it comes. We'll live happily ever after. If I had eyelashes, I would bat them now. That sounds so cliche-ish, but what it really is is hopish. It's security. My friend Ann Voskamp posted this last week. Whatever the story is today, it's okay. Because the writer of the story has written himself into the hardest places of yours and is softening the edges of everything with redeeming grace. A way to security is believing God will pull it off perfectly. It is so normal when these hard things happen to ask why, why. It's normal to ask that. Maybe the next question is, what now? How do I stay in the story? Now, people love stories that are centered around heroes, right? In the children's area, our, now I want to tell you this. Our bottom line for June and July in the kids' area is I can trust God. Both months. They said, this is so important that we're giving it two months. And so every story has a Bible character who's a hero that they're telling how they trusted God. Like this week, it's Joshua and the wall coming down. But I've noticed something lately. We have a lot of heroes in our midst. They're not wearing capes. <laughs> but you can recognize them really easily. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're the ones bringing God glory in the pain of their stories. John and Melissa Jarks, they're heroes in my book. <laughs> they would not choose, yeah, they would not choose the script that they've been handed, a script that included a cancer diagnosis. I've been reading their posts. They're apparently both great writers. <laughs> I've been reading their posts on Caring Bridge. <laughs> and about their updates of John's journey. And their posts are honest and raw and informative. And when I've read one of Melissa's posts recently, I just thought that is exactly on point for what I'm trying to say today. So I'm gonna read to you a portion of her portal. And yes, I did clear this with Melissa so that you know that. 
Okay, this is what she said. <clears throat> I want to tie a bow on this and make it all beautiful. This was after she had told, you know, hard things. I feel like, especially in the church, we want a pretty, tidy, complete story. Look at the financial breakthrough. Look at the sickness healed. Look at the beauty that came from the ashes. No one wants to catch you in the beginning or the middle of your story and hear all about the mess. But we aren't at the beauty part. We're still in the ashes. Some days I lift my head up and remember who God is and who he says I am. Those were two things from our list. When I look, at back, my, look back at my life and John's life and remember the ways God has worked, I feel glimmers of hope. She continues and concludes by saying that our stories are full of moments like these that show God's faithfulness, that he has deep purpose for our lives and for yours, and that he has done a million little miracles in our lives, and we pray for a million more. John and Melissa, in their pain, have entered into the what now? They have entered into trusting God and doing good. One of the people commented on it and said, it's really excruciating to hover in the unknown, which is so true. We want quick resolution to our stories. This is our desire for John and Melissa also. But as we wait, we do what we know to do. We trust God and we continue to do good. We bring him glory in the story in exchange for security. In closing, a few years ago, I had gone to an area of Dallas that I wasn't very familiar with for a celebration. And when I left, I'm pretty much directionally challenged. And um, so, yes, if y'all want to come up, and in just a second, the uh, prayer team, overseers, any staff that's here come up to pray, that would be great. So I was leaving uh, the restaurant, and I picked up my phone. I said, hey, Siri, take me home. Now, you can't make this stuff up. I promise you this is what she said to me very pointedly. I do not know where you live. And in fact, I do not know who you are. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I had used her to tell me that many times, but this was her response on that day. You know what? I decided really quickly, she is not trustworthy to take me home. Since <laughs> so she does not know who I am and does not know where I live. <laughs> but in contrast, <laughs> give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. God knows where we live. He knows who we are. We can securely trust him to direct our lives. Now, what we want you to do as a result of this message, trusting God is a choice. You've got to take your medicine. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, they were doing fine, then they just quit taking their medicine, and now they're a mess. Well, we can't quit taking our medicine. Keep taking your medicine every day. Get up and declare, today I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do good. Today, I'm going to take pleasure and delight in the Lord. Make that your goal for the whole summer, that when you get on the other side, you can see a difference in where your delight has been. 
Okay, if you would like prayer about any of this, about, about your story, trying to stay in your story, trying to trust God and do good, trying to make Him more the delight of your life, any of those things, please come up and we're going to have a prayer team <laughs> up here that would love to pray for you. And if they'd come up while I'm praying, that would be great. Okay. Lord, we thank you that we know the purpose of our life is to bring you glory. Lord, would you give us every day the desire to stay in the story, to trust you, to do good, to delight in you, Lord. May it be, Lord, you are so worthy of delighting in. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.